What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Rance, Joe Johnson's, Ja Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? Well, I realized about halfway through the AFC Championship game, we had a chance at a Jays for Days Super Bowl, and then it mm. didn't happen. And so, then the best quarterback in the NFL, right? You know, did his thing. On did, one enu- <laughs> did enough on one leg, and then, then perhaps the most boneheaded play I've ever seen made in a NFL playoff game happened. There's no excuse. You can sigh all you want to. There's no excuse. Do you have an excuse? No. No, see, I think one of the worst parts of that play was the fact that Mahomes was clearly trying to get out of bounds. It's not even like making that tackle was going to do anything, even if it was right. timed correctly. Right. Yeah, no, I don't have anything on that one. I mean, I, okay. I feel... I feel bad because that's just a, you know, a terrible way to kind of have that end. But you, there's and no. And yeah. also also had a great game too. Yeah, like he yeah. was, he had a really good game up until yeah. that point. But it, yeah, no, there was just no, there was no reason to make that play at all. Yep. Yeah, I was just sitting there thinking about going to have two J quarterbacks, and then yeah, Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. There you go. There you go. Weird, weird conference championship day. Just mm-hmm. kind of all around, yeah. Like neither game, right? Neither get you. You come away from like the the, the Niners were never going to win that game, probably, um, because it's not like Purdy was spectacular. But you know, if Purdy's still a healthy quarterback after that McCaffrey touchdown that ties it at seven seven, you probably have a different football game than you got. Got another um, J quarterback in there though. <laughs> you did. You got two 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 J names from the same quarterback, and. But it just didn't especially it didn't especially matter because there just wasn't there just wasn't anything the Niners were going to nope. be able to do to keep up. Um, and then the other game, you know, I'll always hate it when the first thing people talk about after a football game is the referees. It, mm-hmm. I will always hate that. Not to mention that, you know, the, the Bengals had the ball with two and a half minutes left and. Nope couldn't go score. Not only could they not go score, they could at the very least they could have not scored and not given the chiefs enough time to try to go down the field. And they did neither. So as far as I'm concerned, and then you make a boneheaded defensive play. So the last two and a half minutes. um, And also like the idea that just because you didn't make a right call the first time means you can't make the right call the second time. Cause I keep seeing people say that, well, they, you know, there was a late hit on burrow and they didn't call it. So they shouldn't have called them a homes thing. The idea of, you can't yeah. make the right call because you made a, a you can't make the right no. call because you made a wrong call previously. You got to move so forward. silly to me. Um, yeah. Anyways, Chiefs, Chiefs, Eagles in the in the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. But uh, I mean, sure, that might have been the highlight of your weekend. But I mean, the SEC Big Twelve <laughs> Challenge was <laughs> um, was was ultimately lopsided. In in a in, in the final count between the two conferences with the Big Twelve winning seven of the ten matchups, but we will get to that in depth here in a moment. That will be the bulk of the podcast. But it is Monday, so we will start with winners and losers. Josh, who is your winner? Creighton Blue Jays. Here they come. Okay. okay. Beat St. John's and Xavier at home. Winning streak is up to four. They are one game back in the Big East in the loss column. Against St. John's, they scored fifty-two points in both halves. Mm-hmm. All five starters were in double figures against Xavier, which has been part of the problem, right? You get some good performances. Kulkbrenner does his thing, and then 
one of the guards has a, has a rough game. Finally, they started to get a little bit more balanced. They have proven, again, 52 points in both half against, halves against St. John's. Mm-hmm. They can really score the ball. You know what they can do defensively. This is what I always expected Creighton to be. We are finally here. And, right, you get a win over Xavier to get yourself right back into the the Big East title conversation because they're just – it's sort of a jumbled mess up there at this point. Nobody's really mm-hmm. been able to separate themselves. Right. And <laughs> this was always the case with Creighton in particular. We talked about this idea that, right, if they can just get some wins together, all of a sudden that resume is going to start looking much, much better in terms of seeding for the NTA tournament. The problem was they were sitting around 500, <laughs> and you just can't have a great seed if you're a 500 basketball team, no matter how many other factors are in your favor and kind of in terms of how that happened. Now they're starting to pile up those wins like we always knew they were capable of and looking like the team, at least I always thought they would be. So they're my winner. Yeah, I mean, it's the team that I believe has, I mean, they're number one in defensive efficiency. They're number three in offensive efficiency. I believe I saw a chart in the last 24 hours or so that says they have the best net rating uh, in conference play. And so, I mean, this is something we've known all season, right? And I think because of, you know, what you're getting at, that it didn't come back to Creighton is blowing, is like Creighton is for sure over 500 and this, the the record is looking a little nicer because right after Kalkbrenner came back, they won three, then lost two. So they were sitting at nine and eight. Right. And, but, you know, those two losses were a combined 12 point losses to two of the other four best teams in the Big East. Yeah, they had a tough and, stretch of games. Right. Yeah. And now they've won four straight, like you said, they're 13 and eight and they continue to be one of the, you know, 12 to 15 best teams in the country when they're healthy. And the last four games have have shown that and adding a convincing 17-point win over Xavier, who is also one of the best offenses in the country, holding that team to just 67 points is a, is a feat in and of itself. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, that kind of starts to be the narrative with Creighton because I think some people forgot Yep. Just how good they were because they kept kind of, you know, okay, Kalkbrenner's back, but then they look up two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, and Creighton's still nine and eight. And there's a lot of, well, okay. And even on this podcast, we talked about like at some point they just got to win a, yeah. a chunk of games. And they won these four games. Their next three are Georgetown, Villanova, Seton Hall. So you'd have to think they win at least two of those three. So you're probably looking at a nine and nine and four conference, you know, in conference play, if not, if not. 10 and three, if they can go on the road and beat Seton Hall, which they're projected to do according to Kempom. But um, yeah, they're, they're rolling once again, got a really nice one over Xavier. Yep. It was never a question of whether they could do it. It was just a question of whether they would. And they have turned this thing around and picked up those wins that they needed to. My winner is USC. Hmm. USC put themselves back into NCAA tournament contention with their week. And uh, Arizona State and UCLA, the two teams that they beat, of course, UC- of course, UCLA being the the headline act there in terms of the achievements from the week. But I also wanted to just kind of take a second and point out how different the USC resume could be. They have three losses to Tennessee, Wisconsin, and UCLA the first time they played UCLA by a combined 14 points. And it was really closer than that. 
They lost to UCLA by two the first time around before beating them this week and lost to Tennessee in overtime by seven. So even, even though they ended up losing by seven, they, you know, in theory had a chance to win in regulation, go to overtime and, you know, they, you can be down by two with 56 seconds left and then quickly can turn into a seven point loss pretty mm-hmm. easily. Um, so we could be talking about USC in a different light heading into this week. And then they've really kind of cemented themselves. If we're looking at a, you know, instead of a 15 and six team that has this UCLA win being their best win, if they're a, you know, we're not all that far away from it being a 16 and five team with an, with a win over Tennessee and UCLA, it, it could be very different how we're talking about Andy Enfield's team. But this week they reestablished their, um, their place as a team that's definitely vi- definitely fighting for a NCAA tournament berth and I think cemented themselves as the, as the third best team in this conference behind Arizona and UCLA. So uh, USC did, did, did quite a bit for themselves in multiple different ways this week, and uh, they are my winner. Yeah, you know, and for a team in the Pac-12, we talk about this all the time, that you only get so many of these opportunities to have that mark, especially when you let one slip away against Tennessee, right? You only get so many opportunities to pick up a win that's going to kind of carry your resume, so to speak. And this is right. Your second go around against UCLA, they get it done. And the other thing I want to point out here is outside of a loss to at Arizona, and despite the fact that it is a total of 57 minutes, USC is 4-1 and one with Vince Uchuku healthy, or at least, you know, playing. So not only do you have the benefits of this, the win in terms of the resume, you also kind of have what we've been talking about with Creighton, this idea that you have to evaluate this team differently since Uchuku made his debut on January 12th. Because that's, you know, four Pac-12 games. Three of them against Arizona, Arizona State, and UCLA, and they're four and one. You have to, now, you can, of course, everybody's got different opinions about how you evaluate that and what it actually means. But assuming that Iwuchuku continues to play, you know, more and more minutes and continues to stay healthy and be available, that has to be part of the conversation because that's the team you're evaluating coming into the NCAA tournament. Because in theory, he's there now which is a great news for him considering what he's gone through and the fact he's able to get on this on the court and you're seeing the benefits in a very real way in terms of what they've been able to do since he's been part of this team. Bottom. Who's your loser? Wisconsin. That's that's three losses. At Northwestern, you lose by 18 at Maryland, by 10 against Illinois. You didn't score more than 63 points in any of those games, even though Tower Wall is back. That was part of kind of this, right, this bad stretch Wisconsin's been in. Tower Wall was hurt. That matters. That is not the story this week. So Wisconsin back down into, you know, squarely in bubble territory here. And up next is at Ohio State, a rematch against Northwestern and at Penn State. They're not feeling particularly confident about Wisconsin's abilities to win any of those games. Now they could win all three. Right, it's a lot of kind of evenly matched mid-tier Big Ten teams, but 
<laughs> they lost three games against teams that, okay, I've been on board with Northwestern. Losing to Northwestern on the road, not a big deal. But outside of Purdue, right, you got to beat somebody in the Big Ten. There aren't that many truly bad Big Ten teams. There are a lot of kind of average to good teams where you've got to be able to snap losing streaks and you can't afford to lose three games in a row in conference play when one of those names is not Purdue or even, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, right? We're not talking about any of those teams in terms of the three Wisconsin just lost to. Yeah, I think Wisconsin sucks, respectfully. I I mean, nothing they've done this season really... I mean, apart from beating Marquette way back in early December, I'm just not sure that I think they were, I think they had a mask on for the first month and a half of the season. And what you're seeing now is a team that just doesn't really have enough anywhere. Right. I mean, the question coming in, right? Right. Like if you're the 125th offense at Kempom, 33rd in defense is not good enough. It's just not Like you have to be the best team defense in the country if you're going to be that poor offensively. And I mean, we talk about ten. Do you know where Tennessee is ranked in offensive efficiency? At least they it's were the, before. It's in the thirties or something, right? Thirty third. At least yeah. the last time I looked. Yeah. And we talk about Tennessee, rightfully so. Like they have those days where yep. that's just not good, that's just not good enough. That I mean, Tennessee looks like the prime Warriors. What compared to Wisconsin offensively, and yeah, they just don't really do anything well enough to beat even to your point the good, not great, but still hard to beat Big Ten teams. And you're seeing it over the last, really, the month of January. Yeah, and, yeah, this, yeah, this was a continuation of of the struggles, and that's what Wisconsin has done such a good job of, right? They just always kind of seem to win the close games against the other good teams. I'm even thinking, go back to that Iowa game where Tyler Wall was waving goodbye earlier this season, and you just look up and they're, you know, fourteen and six in Big Tw- Big Ten play mm-hmm. without a bad loss, and that's yeah, that's not how the season is going. And I, and I think part of that is thing first. First, I think their defense is better usually. Like thirty third is fine, but they're also, but the thing that I think has changed that they don't have this year that they have had like say last year is they don't have the Johnny Davis type player. Like Chucky Hepburn is just not good enough to be that guy to carry your team to wherever you need it to be. I mean, you know, you, you go back and look, you know, in the, let's, let's go with 20, 2019, the eighteen nineteen season. It's a team that finished 23 and 11 and 16th at Kempom. They were fourth in defense and 62nd in offense, but you had guys on the offensive end, like Ethan Happ, like Demetric Trice. And you just don't really, you don't have guys that are that offensively gifted, even if the the whole of your offense isn't great, that you have those guys that can, I mean, because like Johnny Davis put them on his back and carried them offensively all last year. Yeah, I mean, which he is why they finished 25 and eight. Right. He and, was an offense in and of himself. Right. Exactly. Demetric Trice had that ability. Bronson Koenig at times had that ability, right? Outside of even, you know, having an Ethan Happ, they've always kind of seemed to have that guy that mm. can just, even if it's not this world beater of a player who can just make tough shots and bail you out sometimes. And then sometimes yeah. you get Johnny Davis. Mm. Yeah, this team doesn't have either of those. And that's where you're seeing the issues. Yeah. 
So they just they just don't have enough really on either end of the floor. Like their defense is fine, but to but relative to what their offense is, it's not right. it's not quite enough to consistently nope. beat good basketball teams. Um, I'm gonna stick in the Big Ten and go with Michigan mm-hmm. because the Wolverines are also a team that don't have the beating good teams gene this year. Um, best win they have this year is Penn State at home, and that's a team they just lost to by 22 points on the road uh, over the last few days. After four straight seasons with top 30 defense, they are 90th this season after being 74th last year. So they're they're not great offensively, even with Hunter Dickinson. I mean, they're not they're not bad offensively, but they're definitely not great offensively. Um, it's a team that is ranked right now 54th offensively um, and 90th in defense. They've fallen to 83rd in the net. They are the only Big Ten Big Ten team still without a quad one win. The only Michigan, even even Minnesota, even That's Minnesota stunning. has one. Even Minnesota has one quad one win. I mean, it's hard to play in the Big Ten for as long as the season has gone on without just manufacturing a quad one win somehow. Right, especially when you're five and five. Right, like, right. It's, it's not, not like, like they've been. Yeah, but Michigan. I believe the Minnesota quad one win will have been Ohio State at home. I believe that's that's probably where it was um, that they got a quad one win. Right? Am I remembering that correctly? That Minnesota went into Ohio State. Yeah, it was Ohio State went in there and won. Um, but Michigan zero and eight in quad one right now. Their home their their wins this season in the Big Ten are Minnesota on the road, Maryland at home, Penn State at home, Northwestern at home, and then Minnesota at home. So. They haven't beat anybody on the road, not named Minnesota, and that was way back on December 8th. Their best chances for a quad one win so far this year, uh, Virginia and Kentucky late November, early December. Got close in both of those games, actually. but Played Virginia tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but weren't able to come away with a win there. Um, They played Purdue pretty tough. um, Weren't able to come away with a win, but then you kind of back that up with getting just absolutely smoked on the road by Penn State. And whatever moral victories come with going toe-to-toe with Purdue kind of fall by the wayside when you get smoked on the road by Penn State. And uh, so it's just been, it's just been a, it's been a bad year and right. They've had some injuries and some things just not go the way that they were expecting them to go. So some of it out of their control, but uh, Juwan Howard's team certainly um, in a, in a really tough spot right now. And it was another ultimately bad week for, for the Wolverines. And there's some real frustration within that fan base right now, just being a, you know, being from that area of the people I follow on Twitter, the people I talk to some is Juwan Howard, the guy for this job questions. And is he ever going to get more out of this talent? Because that's what we've been talking about with this team, right? Juwan Howard's best teams were the ones where he got to do what John Beeline did and kind of take this group that you didn't expect that much out of and elevate them. All of a sudden, all these hyped recruits start coming in and they have not been as good. I don't think that's, necessarily specific to Juwan Howard. I also think there's a lot to do with college basketball experience and, you know, sort of philosophically how to build a program. But yeah, this is, it's, it's not working and you have an anchor there and it's, it just doesn't really seem to matter. So I I am very curious to kind of follow this through the season and the off season to see, see what happens here. Cause there are some, some not so happy people in Ann Arbor at the moment. 
And it, it's a great example of like all five stars are not created equal and mm-hmm. not all highly, highly touted freshmen are not created equal. Yep. I mean, COVID year, they go 23 and five, finish third at Kempom. This is the team that wasn't kind that wasn't really supposed to be that good. And then you look up and Michigan's undefeated and they were just right there all season. And there were even at points where it was not just Gonzaga and Baylor. It was like Michigan belongs yep. to be belongs in that conversation. Like they were that good at times that season. Um, and they ended up losing to that UCLA team, I believe, in the Elite Eight. Round of 64, 32. So, yeah, Elite Eight. Um, but that year, their freshmen were Hunter Dickinson and Franz Wagner. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that is that is it's hard to, to top those things. I mean, Hunter Dickinson finished eighth in Kempom Player of the Year rankings. And then your seniors that year were Mike Smith, Isaiah Livers, Eli Brooks. Like those, like that is a, that is an equally stacked from a veteran and freshman perspective. And those are the teams that are really dangerous. And, you know, the, the, the Michigan freshmen have been fine as of late, but Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate were not anywhere near as good as those two freshmen I just mentioned were. And this year, I mean, Jet Howard has had his moments and, but, but that's, that's, I mean, that's about all you can say about their freshmen. Right, mm-hmm. is that Jet Howard has had his moments and looks looks really good and will probably be you know an NBA draft pick and you know all of those things can be true, but it um, it hasn't translated to success in the way that some of those earlier teams have. Yeah, winners and losers. There you go. Uh, it's January thirty first, January thirtieth. Excuse me. So we have what? Oh, we're bringing six, in the countdown now. <laughs> six six more winners and losers, something like that. Something like that. All right. Big 12 SEC challenge. Like I said, off the top, Big 12 wins at seven to three. Um, but I don't know about you, like, not necessarily in the way that I thought they would win at seven to three. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> it was more about the depth of the conference than the elite nature of the top of it. Yep. Let me explain. Allow me to explain. Um, Seven to three, but they went. The Big Twelve went three and three in games that they had a ranked team playing in, and that and not in all of those games was there an SEC ranked team playing their their Big Twelve ranked team. Uh, it goes like this: uh, Texas, so TCU, Iowa State, and Texas all lost as ranked teams in the Big Twelve. Texas lost to Tennessee. Missouri beat Iowa State, and what's the last one? And TCU lost, TCU lost to, to Mississippi, Mississippi State. State to Mississippi State. Um, the the three games that they won in which a Big Twelve team was ranked was Kansas State beat Florida, Baylor beat Arkansas, and Kansas beat Kentucky. So three and three in those six games, and but then they just kind of they, they got some depth wins, right? Oklahoma dusted number two Alabama. I'm sure yep. we'll get to that in a more yep. in a deeper context. Texas Tech, who still hasn't won a, a Big Twelve conference game beat LSU on the road, West Virginia, West Virginia beat number 15 Auburn in uh, Morgantown and Oklahoma state beat a bad Ole Miss team at home. So that one wasn't surprising in the slightest, but they, the big 12 flexed its muscles with their depth rather than the, the elite top of the conference. Not that we need to make any sweeping declarations about that, but it wasn't seven to three and all six teams won their ranked game and, 
and they just kind of won it that way. The depth was where the conference really shined on Saturday. What say you about any of those things I just brought up? Yeah, the the first thing just in general before we get into some of the games specifically, that was the challenge facing the SEC, right? Your top end is not quite as good. You're certainly capable of hanging in the higher profile matchups. You have a Tennessee and Alabama to throw out there, for example, Mm -hmm. right? That paid dividends. Well, the Tennessee part of that (laughs) paid dividends. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're completely mismatched at the top. But it's what we keep talking about the Big 12 is that everybody kept saying, you know, Oklahoma, ninth ninth in the Big 12, just did that to Alabama. And what did we say coming into this? Watch out for Oklahoma because that's mm-hmm. not going to be a fun game for Alabama to play. Look nope. what happened last time they tried. Norman, they, clearly some kryptonite for the, right. for the tie. Must be the, the red, just the reds get too confusing because they're almost <laughs> identical. I don't know. Right? Because anybody who follows the Big 12 knows Oklahoma is just not that far off from the other really good teams in the Big 12. They just have to play them all the time so they don't win that many conference games. Right. right? right. It's just not that difficult. But you have to pull the you have to hold your own at the top and pull some upsets at the bottom. And that's where the to your point, that's where the SEC really came up short, if you want to right. Now this is a sweeping commentary about the SEC, but you needed something outside of Mississippi State beating TCU. You needed Arkansas to beat Baylor. You needed Florida to somehow beat Kansas State. You needed Auburn to take care of business against West Virginia. You know, you needed to get that Ole Miss-Oklahoma State game if you're going to have any chance of winning this thing because you're not winning every high-profile matchup. Mm-hmm. But where the Big 12 had the real advantage was that that bottom, and they took care of business there. Can we yep. start with Texas-Tennessee, get the high-profile one out of the way first? Whatever you want, man. Whatever. <laughs> Boy, yes, that's a lot that, of power. That, Thank you. That was that was the team I that was the first game I had in my bullet points here. So well, I mean, yes. if you, if it's whatever I want, I mean, let's let's just jump right into Ole Miss Oklahoma State. I mean, if that's <laughs> what you want, dog. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> Props to Olivia Olivia Kamwa. I mean, that dude was all over the place for Tennessee. Mm. And again, another, and now, you know, Ty George James is back. This is, I guess this is the first thing I want to talk about. And then we can kind of get into the game specifically. (laughs) I keep talking about Tennessee's offense. And I really do believe this theory that you just have to be better offensively to win six consecutive games in March. Mm But like we were talking about with their offensive efficiency, it's not like they're a bad offensive team. They just have clunkers sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. They have guys who can, and of course, Sakai Ziegler will save that for a little bit, unless you're going to get into it before I do. He, you know, he was doing his thing too. But they have legitimate offensive weapons. It's not that they're a bad offensive team. It's just that they need some things to go right to produce seventy to eighty point performances. But they're doing it consistently right now, and you can't ignore it. And they did it against a Texas team that's been, you know, up and down defensively, but we know what they're capable of. And yeah, Texas hung in there for a little bit, and then Tennessee's defense took over, and Tennessee and Texas's starters scored twenty-seven points total. Mm-hmm. And that was that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I kind of we kind of everything we talked about why Texas would be a tough matchup for. <laughs> Tennessee it just didn't yeah. really happen yeah right? I mean they do we talked about can Texas continue to lock it down defensively no no nope. not in this game um anytime that Tennessee scores 82 points shoots 55 percent from the field they're going to win it's just going to happen there's almost nothing you can do and 
when one Tennessee player has just as many points by himself as your entire starting lineup, that's that's going to be an issue. You know, I t- talked about you know, is how Sakai Ziegler going to handle some tough physical guards. 22 and 10 on 70% shooting, of course, <laughs> right. obviously. Um, and like you said, players not named Marcus Carr in the starting lineup had 16 total points and six field goals. Carr had, relative to the rest of his starting lineup companions, had a fine game, but it wasn't great. He had 11 of the 27. Uh, the bench outscored the starting lineup yep. for Texas. Thank the Lord for the bench because they had a lost by 50. <laughs> Sergio Barry, right? Just keeping them in there, yeah. Right. I mean, the, the bench outscored the starting lineup for Texas 44 to 27 in this game. You're yeah. probably not going to win that basketball game. Nope. Like, I'm impressed that you guys still found a way to get to 71 points in some ways um, when you only got 27 from your starting lineups. But like you said, Olivier uh, Kamua was awesome 27 points, eight rebounds, and. Yeah, if you're going to beat Tennessee, you got to do basically all the stuff that Texas didn't do. And as a result, you know, when you kind of look at it, it's kind of surprising that they only lost by 11. Yeah. Oh, it was in danger of getting much worse than that. And they kind of, kind of made a run and, and got at least a little bit competitive by the end. Yeah. No, that was not an 11 point game. That was more no. like 18 20. Yeah. Yeah. So good for Tennessee, but you're right. They keep, and that thing will always be there. And right. we're going to get to another SEC team that reminded us that this one thing is always going to be there. And Tennessee's is that they, the, the clunker game is always going to be a possibility. But when you look at their team sheet right now, there are just a lot of, I mean, you can't be the number one team in offense in efficiency at Kempom. You can't be the number one team as of Monday morning if your offense isn't at least competent, right? I mean, they took over to Houston after their win. And, you know, right, in this stretch since December 21st, they've scored 86, 63, 87, 60, 85, 77, 56, 70, 77, 70, 82. Yep. Like, that's enough when you're the number one team in in defense. But there's a clunker right there in the center where they scored 56 against Kentucky at home. And that will just always be there. And, you know to make it as very black and white as possible, they they have a five-game win streak and a four-game win streak in those 10 games. And guess how many games it takes to win a national championship? Six. Six. Yep. And that will always be there. But to their credit, almost, you know, more way more times than not this year, they've scored enough points. But we're still looking for, like, a real streak you know, not one that includes like Florida Gulf Coast and Alcorn State and McNeese State and Eastern Kentucky. Because um, to their credit, they did win eight straight games there. But like, that's not really what we're talking about here. Um, they, keep, they they score enough points more times than not. But that glaring, they could score 56 today is is always going to be there. And I, I will say, I'm to the point, I feel way better about this Tennessee team than any other past iteration. To me, this is clearly I, the best team Rick I, Barnes has had. I would probably still go with the Grant Williams Admiral, Admiral Schofield, Schofield team. team, probably. But I think this team would be would be a close second. I just what they're doing defensively and the amount of weapons they have on offense. I, so I wanted to give Tennessee their props just because I have this mental hurdle with that <laughs> for for whatever reason and. 
I still have the, we're going to get to this come March. It's not going away. Like you said, but you also have to recognize they're not getting by scoring 62 a game right now. They are doing what they need to offensively as well. Right. And then on the Texas side, those guards just need to be better. And I, that's what I was kind of thinking about this is why is this going so horribly for Texas offensively? I mean, they didn't shoot the ball well. That's part of it. But they don't have – and Serge Jabari Rice is kind of this guy coming off the bench. But they don't have a lot of shot makers in terms of getting your own offense, right? In terms of their perimeter players and their interior guys, sort of the supporting cast around the guards. They don't have some kind of high-level – I mean, Serge Jabari Rice is having a good season, right? But that kind of Jalen Wilson wing player who just does what he wants and you can't really stop him. That's not how they're built. They're built to have the two guards and all these other guys who kind of play off of them. And mm-hmm. when Serge Barry Rice is your third option, good luck trying to guard him because he's also a really good scorer. But if those guards aren't kind of the catalyst for everything, it can get stuck really quickly. That's kind of the conclusion I've come to is they're so reliant on their guards because they're built around two of the best guards in the country. Mm-hmm. You need those guys to be making things happen to make everybody's life easier. You don't really have – and. You know, Serge Jabari tried to bail him out. He did his best with some help from his friends off the bench, and it wasn't even nearly enough. So that's something I'm looking at Texas moving forward. I mean, not that it's new, because usually the guards are spectacular and it's not a big deal. But they don't have kind of a – I don't see them having a guy to bail them out if the guards are bad against a team they're going to see in an Elite Eight, a Final Four, that kind of thing. One, nobody has a Jalen Wilson. That's also true. one. Yeah, I just that went dude, to the most extreme yeah, example I could think of. Fair. <laughs> but that dude would be the front runner for National Player of the Year if Zach Eady didn't exist. Yeah, oh, oh um, sure, sure, yeah. Um, Zach Eady against against Michigan State this year, by the way, 70 points and 30 rebounds in two games. <laughs> and then Tom Izzo basically came in and whined about yeah. them having a, the best player on the floor. That's basically what he did. He basically said, he just gets to do whatever he wants. It's like, yeah, yeah he's 7'4". Seven, seven, four. Four. Yeah, you idiot. This is the same guy who complains about like NIL. Like this is like this is the same thing. Like job yeah. gets hard, then we're complaining about. It. Anyways, I won't get on my stump about that. No, I'm um, with you on that one. That one, um, yeah, not a fan. Not a really bad look. Um, yeah. Not to mention that you could call a foul literally every time Zach Ed touches yep. the ball if the ref wanted to. Like literally yep. every yep. time. Yep. Um, so it's a give and take, but the guy is seven four. You're not supposed to stop him easily. That's not supposed to be the thing. Um, the other thing is that Serge Ibari got to be like a top three first name in college basketball this year. Oh sure, Serge yep. Ibari. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Shoot, I mean that is that is a five head play. We're just gonna have our child be knighted before <laughs> the like without the queen's consent because we're just gonna put the sir in his name, Serge Ibari. Yeah. I'm I'm locked in on that. But um eighty two seventy one, the volunteers beat the Texas Longhorns. Where would you like to go next? Would you like to go to the elephant in the room? The roll tide elephant to be to be specific? Sure. How would you like that? That was pretty good. That was good. That's pretty Bravo. good. Um Oklahoma ninety three, Alabama sixty nine. I wanna start with like, is there anything Alabama could have done to win this basketball game? Like, like, no. like, really, like on this particular day, and and it's unfortunate for them that we're going to talk about the fact that they also have the three point shooting clunker right in their back pocket at all times. But like, they could they shot twenty two threes in this game, made six of them. They could have made eighteen of them and still would have lost. Yeah, this basketball. yeah. Let's not pretend like they lost this game because of the three point. Well, because of their three point shooting. 
Right. Here's why they lost this game. Oklahoma attempted nine fewer threes than Alabama and made three more of them. Yes. That nine is why 13. they lost this game. Right. <laughs> Oklahoma, 57% from the field, nine of 13 from the three-point line. and made 16 of their 19 free throws. I mean, what else do you want? Um, But they did have one of those nights, Um, six of 22 from the three-point line. Alabama only had six assists in the whole game, which is alarming six assists on like 24 made field goals something like that maybe a little maybe a few more than that um i think it was 24 24 25 something like that um grant sherfield and jalen hill combined for 56 on 20 of 31 shooting no one (laughs) wanted to stop them either so that's like pretty good as well um but this was just kind of one of those games that you know and, and i don't know and i'm gonna go look actually i'm gonna go look um because like last year or two years ago, that really good Alabama team that lost in Norman, sixty six sixty one. Man, that game they were ten of twenty eight from the three point line. So never mind. I was just kind of guessing that maybe they had a really bad performance there. Like ten of twenty eight is not incredible, but it's also fine. Yeah. Um. But that's not right. I mean, it, it should be mentioned because their reliance on the three is part of why the game got so out of hand. But also is not the main reason that they lost. Sometimes the home team is just not going to miss. And this was one of those times. And the same thing happened to throw Iowa state real quickly into this conversation. Cause that's probably not where we spend most of our time. I mean, Iowa state shot 40% from three and had 11 offensive rebounds. It didn't come close. Why? Missouri was 14 to 30 from three. There are just, sometimes it doesn't need to be more complicated than the other team just shot the lights out They're a good basketball team playing at home. You just move on and go to the next day. There's nothing really that needs to be addressed or fixed. I mean, I'm sure Nate Oates wants better perimeter defense and guarding the three-point line better. But I didn't look at this and change my thoughts on Alabama really at all. They had been so consistent for, you know, the last few months. They were going to lose eventually. Now, you never want to lose the way they did. But I would... I'm not even sure about that. I would almost maybe even argue that the way it was so lopsided makes me even less concerned about it. It's just because, like we've been talking about, they just had no chance. The only the only thing I'm a little concerned about, and like, A, I will continue to be concerned about the three-point shooting. We're down to 188th in the country in three-point shooting for a team that takes the 13 most threes relative to their field goal attempts. Like, that's that's that will remain problematic. In the same way that Tennessee's clunkers offensively mm-hmm. remain pop- problematic. Um, the other thing is that I'm just not like they don't have a single digit loss yet this year. <laughs> and 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 at some point, like at some point to win a national championship game, you're probably going to need to win a game that you probably should have lost, or a game that you would have mm-hmm. lost if you played it ten times, you'd have lost seven. You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a very good point. And mm-hmm. and. When they don't have it, now granted, like Gonzaga, we talked about that Gonzaga loss. Gonzaga scored 100 in regulation. Like sometimes Gonzaga is just going to do that. But their other two losses are by 15 to to UConn, in which they only scored 67. And this game to Oklahoma, in which they only scored 69. So, and, and granted, it's only three losses since November 25th. So like clearly there are other things. And it's not like they don't have close wins, so I could have just as easily like they beat Mississippi State by three. Mm-hmm. 
right. this week as well. So, you know, it's a little bit picking the stats that I want based on the point I'm trying to make, but that's just what we do. <laughs> um, but, but also you're going to lose a close game at some point. Right. If you go uh, the entire regular – that's where I thought you were going to go with this. If you go the entire regular season without a close loss where you just lose the games where you kind of go you know, shrug your shoulders and say you had no chance. In a vacuum, I would rather have those losses because I think they're easier to compartmentalize and and not get too phased by. But also you need to – right? you're not going to get on the – unless you're Providence last season, you're not going to get on the right end of every single close game you play. Right. So at some point, I if I'm Nate Oates, I'm almost kind of hoping that you get a close, close late game situation where things don't go well, so that that can be addressed before you have it, you know, determining whether you're playing again at the end of the season during the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's that's basically where I was getting to. But like, I don't want my team to not really know what it's like to lose a close game, exactly. so they don't have the learning experiences right. from it. Right. And. They don't have that yet. Like, right. They have a three point win against Memphis. They have a six point win against Houston. They have a three point win over Mississippi state. So it's not like they haven't been in close games. I just think there's value in being able to look at a box score in which you came out the loser and be able to kind of look at that close game and decide what you could have done better, but they haven't had that this year. Um, That's the only thing I would like to, point out and just in general teams that lose games close in theory they're in they're in those games and they you know two of their three losses they weren't in the game whatsoever so i don't really like there's that doesn't really say anything about their team per se it just is something that's like if that's still the case when we get to march i'll be a little bit concerned about that and it's also just the way they play lends itself to that. Right, exactly. Which, Which is, is also part of the concern issue. we've been Which harping on with the NCAA tournament and the approach and how it prepares you for that. Yeah. yeah. All right, where do you want to go next? Kansas, Kentucky? Let's do it. Kansas's team showed up again. That was nice to see. Finally, this week, it started to kind of... I mean, it started a little bit with the Baylor game. And then finally, there was a... a team with five contributing members on the court from an offensive perspective. Mm-hmm. So much, much better. I mean, Kevin McCullough was really good on both ends of the floor, even though he got hurt, he toughed it out and continued to make an impact. Dewan Harris started actually making shots again and looked like himself. And then of course you get what you get from your other guys. That was my thing for Kansas is just, they looked like Kansas again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is one of those weird games where so much was pointing that Kentucky was going to win because of the way these teams were playing, right? Ken Palm had Kentucky as favorites, all that kind of stuff that I sort of looked at it and went, yeah, Bill Self's not losing four straight. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like that Kentucky-Tennessee game where you just go, well, of course it went that way because everything said it was going to go the opposite way. It's just how it works, right? Mm -hmm. My thing for Kentucky, uh, besides the atrocious three-point shooting, I don't think they made one in the first half. In this kind of matchup, they have got to get the ball to Sheepway more. And they finally started doing it, and it was working. But especially in the first half, and particularly the first half of the first half. Him only taking nine shots in this game is criminal. Yeah, and then he had that stretch where it was a bucket or a foul every possession. Because as we talked about before, Kansas can't guard him. 
Mm-hmm. And then some of the players that Candace hoped to guard him got injured. They were even more shorthanded, and there was some foul trouble. I mean, this was just screaming Oscar Sheboy 30 and 18, and it didn't even really come close. And it's not like it didn't come close because somebody else was having the game of their life. And here's why. Here's why. Like, like I hear people when they talk about Purdue's holes. But the one thing that Matt Painter will never let happen is when <laughs> Zach Eady can't be stopped. Like the guy is going to take 25 shots. Yep. He or he's going to touch the ball in every possession and get right. wide open threes out of it. Yeah. Right. He, he like, he doesn't make it more, more complex mm-hmm. than it needs to be. Yep. Get Zach Eady the basketball and let him make the right decision because Zach Eady has gotten to the point where he just makes the right decision every time he has the basketball. He had 38 points, 24 shots, 13 rebounds, three assists, and zero turnovers against Michigan State. <laughs> in every game that it's like, okay, and Michigan State did that the first time around. Yep. He took 26 shots in the first game against Michigan State because Michigan State decided that they were going to play him straight up, and Matt Painter said, fine, we'll give it to him over and over and over again. Yep. And he did enough with that with those opportunities to win the game at the very mm-hmm. end, right? And I don't know what it is about literally every other coach who has a dominant big man. Dan Hurley's the same way. I look at UConn box scores all the time, and I'm like, you cannot tell me that Sonogo only got nine shots in this game, that you couldn't have gotten him four more shots, and on those four possessions, at least two of them, that would have been the best shot you got on that possession. And Chibwe did Oh, and Chibwe did have some assists in this game too, right? which is almost emphasizing the point even more. It should have been every single possession because he was making things happen, whether it was getting fouled, whether it was creating shots for other players in a game in which they did not shoot the ball well at all. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't have to be him taking a shot or scoring every possession, but it has to be forcing the defense to adjust to him every possession when it's so clear they can't. <laughs> I mean, Edie had three assists, one less than Shibuya had in this game, and yeah, also yeah. had 38. Right. Right. I mean, like, right. it's not hard. No. And you're right. Th- those are the two bullet points here. Like, uh, what I have written down is that Kentucky went back to the Kentucky that we saw two and a half weeks ago, three mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yep. The team that has two guys who play lots of minutes who are literally useless if they don't make shots. Three point shots and CJ Frederick and Austin in sorry Antonio Reeves Antonio Reeves sorry not Austin um, Antonio Reeves Austin Reeves is the most popular white boy in Los Angeles um, Austin Reeves Antonio, Antonio Reeves. Reeves gosh <laughs> but like when CJ Frederick and Antonio Reeves Antonio play fifty nine minutes together and go zero of eight from the three point line they are going to lose to a team like Kansas it is always going to happen one hundred percent of the time. Because those two guys don't do anything else other than make shots. And when they don't make them, and Oscar Shibuya only takes nine shots in the game, you're going to score 68 points. That's just what's going to happen. And I like and, and, and after that, everything else is peripheral. Because those two things are at the foundation of basically all of Kentucky's issues this season. Mm-hmm. Just not and that hard. And it's fascinating, too, because this is oh. coming off of Sheboy sweeping the National Player of the Year awards, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like this was an issue last season. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's become a major issue. It's just very confusing. But very much so. Making sense of this game, not confusing. <laughs> no, very much not. I'm going to look. I'm actually curious. That's a good point. Okay, stats. This year, Sheboy is taking... Almost a full shot less per game than he did last year, in in a in a full minute more on average per game. Wow. 
Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Whatever, man. What do I know, right? <laughs> sometimes I'll like watch people like sometimes I'll like see people on Twitter and their like game analysis is like, man, I didn't even like that's just props. Like I, I like I so much enjoy that kind of thing because there are just things that I don't see when watching basketball games. And there are people whose brains are just so much more tuned to that kind of thing than mine is. But then there are also some times that I'm just like, this is way more simple than it needs to be. Just pass it to the guy in the middle that's stronger and bigger than everybody else and ask him to make the right play with it. It just like, it just doesn't, it's just not always that hard. And it seems like this year, Kentucky and Kyle Perry are trying to make it more harder than it needs to be more harder, harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Really good grammars there. Excellent. Great, great grammars there. <laughs> Anywho, anything else on Kansas and Kentucky? No, no, that's all I want to talk about. Do you have any, any other main games you want to go to? Can we go to just kind of bouncing around the little nits and picks that we had or, or yeah or where do you i just go? have a couple of things i want to throw out there mm-hmm. okay perfect start wherever you'd like to start and we'll kind of go back and forth yeah eric stevenson basically got that win for west virginia by himself <laughs> that was that was a sight to behold and a big win for west virginia that you know started off well hasn't gone well in conference play you get that and we were talking about right bubble teams you get this opportunity to have a top 15 team I think Auburn's still 15th. Maybe, oh, I'm sure they moved with the new AP poll, but when they played this game, I think Auburn was 15th. You get a top, regardless, a top 25 team coming into your building. It's not a big 12 team, so you get a little bit of a breather in that sense. Auburn dropped 10 spots to 25. Okay. So, still a top 25 team, even though you just beat them. Did they lose twice that week, last week? Why did you drop, did they really drop 10 spots just for losing on the road to West Virginia? I would find that hard to believe. No, they lost to Texas A&M at home. That's right. They got oh, smoked right, right, by right. Texas A&M yeah. at home. Right. Yeah, okay, that'll yes. do it. I was really hoping that they didn't <laughs> drop 10 spots because they lost yeah. to a Big 12 team on the road. Yeah. Okay. So this is one of those opportunities to get yourself a nice home win. West Virginia are able to do that. Baylor quietly six wins in a row. I all wasn't th- all that impressed by this one, though. Sure, yeah. I'm just saying, all of a sudden, my preseason predictions aren't looking quite as bad as they did a month ago. No. <laughs> now, they no. were looking awful a month ago, but we're on the upturn. Shout out to Scott Drew for making me not look and, like a complete idiot. And, and part of that is, and you also need to give your shouts out to Jalen Bridges. Like, he might have to <laughs> make a guest appearance in our intro to the podcast <laughs> at some point, because that's also, like, Jalen Bridges remembered how to be an impactful basketball player again. Mm-hmm. I mean, over the last month, you know, he had some really nice games to begin the year and then went from November 18th to um, January 4th with two double-digit games. So he went basically two months with only two double-digit scoring games. And, you know, he's always been a, a solid rebounder, but since since a eight-point performance on Wednesday, January 4th, he scored in double digits every time. He was he had ten and seven on three of five shooting, got to the free throw line several times. He he's been an impactful front court guy the last mm-hmm. month or so as well, which yeah. is also very helpful. Yeah. And then Oklahoma State, Kansas State, take care of business at home. 
as expected. Not much to say there. Again, Oklahoma State, right? That's a win you just need to have if you're fighting on the bubble and you're playing Big 12 teams the rest of the season. <laughs> Kansas State, just don't lose a game you should win in the Octagon of Doom. You know, they got that taken care of. The other thing I want to point out, and then feel free to jump with anything you have. For all intents and purposes, TCU didn't have Mike Miles or Eddie Lampkin in this Mississippi State game. That just needs to be addressed. This was not full-strength TCU losing at Mississippi State. This was severely depleted TCU losing at Mississippi State. So not a you know world-ending loss, even if they were at full strength. Not particularly concerning to me at all, considering what they were actually out there playing with by the end of this game. So wanted to put that context around that one because that might have been – Without that context, that might have been, I would argue, the single most surprising result of these games. The only thing I will throw into that conversation is it's basically a variation of the same conversation we've been having about TCU Mm -hmm. and Kansas State, really, but like mostly TCU that like with both of those teams, like they have some really great like kind of dudes and sometimes the rest of the team just doesn't show up. Now, granted, not showing up with your best players on the floor and then trying to be productive without your best players on the floor are two completely different things. But still, those two like consistent, all-around, balanced offensive attack things with both of those purple teams in the Big 12 <laughs> are are things that I will just continue to keep an eye on. But you're right. Yeah. That, has to be, that has to be added for context. That yeah, oh, they, those are two of the most important still, players And they still the almost country. won the game. And they still yeah, almost yeah, won the game. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no doubt. What's become incredibly clear to me is that Miles and Lampkin are, if you're taking sort of two guys, they're right up there with any most important duo in the country. Maybe not number one, but there aren't too many pairs ahead of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just, RC4, got to give him a shout out. Like <laughs> The guy just keeps doing the thing for Arkansas. 25 on 10 of 17 shooting. Um, he and Devo Davis were the only offense that showed up in Waco. They had 41 of the 64 points. Nobody else had more than seven. And I will also just continue to be sad that this is the Arkansas season we've gotten. Just makes me very sad. Yep. Um, just imagine if they would have been healthy with him doing this. Yeah. It, it, is, the, it is the most backwards true statement of the college basketball season for me, one of them at least, is that Ricky Council the fourth is averaging 17, three and two. And Arkansas hasn't won a road game yet. And Arkansas is outside of the top 25. And Arkansas is basically already out of the SEC race and all of these things on January 30th. And Ricky Council, RC4 baby, is is averaging 17. Those things are simultaneously true. And before the season, if you told me that I would have not believed you, but he, but alas, here we are. Yeah. Um, the last thing I kind of have is there were just a lot of really, really good individual performances on Saturday in this, in the challenge. Um, you know, you get Kobe Brown at Missouri who had 20 and 12, um, in the Mississippi State game, Tolu Smith had 27, 13, and four blocks. Um, right. We had your Jalen Wilson's 
Um, Marquise Noel was a rebound and two assists away from a triple double. Uh, we talked about Kamua for Tennessee, 27 to eight there. Um, Grant Sherfield, we kind of glossed over it, but he had 30, 30 and six, um, for, for the, uh, the fighting Porter Mosers in Norman. You talked about Eric Stevenson, Eric Stevenson. Mm-hmm. um, you know, in the Texas Tech game, Davion Harmon had a good 14 and eight performance. You know, there's just there there were a lot of really nice individual performances, um, especially in the games that were like, oh, I I wasn't expecting that game to Keontae go the way George that... too. Keontae George had 24. It took him 20 shots to get there, which is why I didn't sure, include sure. him specifically in this larger conversation. But yes, Keontae George was 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 very good for for <laughs> Baylor and Waco. Um, that's the last thing I have. I don't have anything anything else big. Now we get right back to the Big Twelve beating itself up. <laughs> Yes. You got anything else on the Big 12 SEC Challenge? Anything else you saw from the weekend? No, I was keeping an eye on that Purdue-Michigan State game and then very quickly realized that was not something I needed to be paying much attention to. So, No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Man. 38-13-3. and three. And three. Those were steals <laughs> I was giving you. They also the assists. And I think he had two blocks as well. He's... Did you see he was wearing a big maple shirt? Yes. And did you see, so, so Purdue was wearing their like throwbacks and on their throwbacks, it has like on the chest, it has like the Nike swoosh on one side, like on the upper chest, like mm-hmm. where the logos go. There was a Nike swoosh and there's a, an American flag on the other one, on the other side of the chest. And Edie posted on Twitter after the game, his jersey inside out. And inside out, he has a Canadian flag stitched on the That's inside. That's where that came from. I saw the picture. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was like, I was like, oh, th- that's the kind of thing I'll eat, I'll eat up 100%. <laughs> big Maple 100%. represent. How about that? Shouts to our, to the Big Maple. Crap. What's his name? Fardaz Amac. Thank you. Fardaz Amac. Shouts to the Big Maple, um, who out with a, is an ACL? Achilles? I don't remember. Hold on, I got you. I think it was some kind of knee. Fardaz, AMAC. Great, great podcast content right now. <laughs> I think it's even perfect just because Zach Eady even kind of looks like a maple tree. <laughs> Doesn't he? I mean... I mean, no, but (laughs) I don't mean that. Maybe he has the vibes of one. (laughs) I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but just I feel like he. If you're going to ask me for a college basketball player that looks like a a maple tree. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just if you're going to ask me for a college basketball player that looks like a maple tree, he's going to be one of my top selections. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it's, it, he is definitely the the one closest to the same Thank height you. as a maple tree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he 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 is closest to being able to go in to to battle in the post with an actual maple tree. And I you know, he uses that. his hook shot, so it's kind of his branches swaying in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to keep going, or should I stop you now? That's, that's about all I got. <laughs> okay. I'll let you know if I come up with some more. Okay, please analogy. do. Please do. Um, speaking of the Big 12 going back to, to beating each other up, uh, Baylor is at Texas yep. on Monday night. Um, Kansas State is at Kansas on Tuesday night. Yep. That's West, what Virginia I was is at, West Virginia is at TCU on Tuesday night. Um, so, yeah, they just kind of – they put the they put the 
the punching the punching uh the punching bags the oh my gosh gloves. what are those things the boxing gloves thank you gosh the boxing gloves and they put the padded helmets on so they don't hurt each other too much so they can all go to the tournament and and man an absolute gauntlet an absolute gauntlet um those those games i mean naturally headline the the action for between now and the next time we podcast uh providence is at xavier on wednesday night that's a good one but a you know a a a solid slate the next few days like conference play always is but nothing nothing outside of the big 12 that is completely knocking your socks off but when the big 12 has like six of the top 15 teams in the country that tends to be the case you know yeah Purdue, somebody you, playing somebody. Way to go to the AP poll, to the AP voters. No team got a number one place vote except for Purdue this week. So well done. Well done. I mean, the, the AP poll doing something logical. Well done. Good job. Was there anybody that even had an argument for a number one vote? No, but it wouldn't be the first time that a team I mean, got sure. a number one vote sure, that sure. had no argument. You're right. Um, so, so well done. Good job. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. AP poll. Um, that's incredibly condescending to the AP. So, okay. So now here, here becomes the question that I'm always fascinated by. Let's say Purdue loses this week. Mm -hmm. Purdue at home against Penn state, I believe is their first game this week. And then they'll play at Indiana on Saturday. So if they beat Penn state at home and lose at Indiana, yes, they should still be the number one team. That's what I'm going for. Cause I agree. If it's this, if the gap is this large, then inherently, if they lose to an Indiana team that is playing much better on the road, the Indiana gap should not close. Indiana 21st yeah, in the a top AP 25 team. Yeah. The gap should not close that much to the point where just because number one lost, we need – now, usually, there are two or three teams behind that are actually making an argument, right? Mm-hmm. So it's logical. The way this thing is going, they have built up such a gap between be, – ahead of everybody else that yes if they lose if as long as they don't lose twice this week if they lose the indiana game on the road they should still be number one unless somebody does something remarkable and i I don't even know what that would be or what team that would be so yeah i agree but you know if tennessee goes undefeated and then purdue oh i guess tennessee okay i guess tennessee is the team kind of making the argument sure yeah but then again there's still 107 points in the voting around behind yeah 107 yeah anyways but that's not but listen listen that's not how that's not how let's see who does tennessee play this week tennessee this week plays florida and auburn florida on the road auburn at home we'll revisit this if it needs to be revisited next week once the ap poll comes out when you find the the dude on Indiana's team that's going to stop Zach Eady, let <laughs> I'll I'll be I'll be here to I'll be here to to learn. Um, it's definitely not six nine Trace Jackson Davis. I'm looking that's forward for to sure. that game though. That's going to be fun. It will be fun. It will be fun. Um, Indiana, the Indiana women, by the way, shouts to the yep. Indiana women's team. Yep, like three straight wins over. They beat Ohio State, the number two team in the country, on Thursday night. It was the it was the most attended. Indiana women's regular season game at Simon Scott Assembly Hall, I think ever. I think you know, like there were over, there were like almost eleven thousand people there. So that's really cool to see. But um, anywho, yeah, so the even, IU even men, if, not the best basketball team yeah. on campus, which is saying something considering they're twenty first in the country. Yeah, and now they're playing much better. But yeah, throughout this entire thing, where everybody just gets disappointed in the men every year. Yeah. By the way, that women's program is very quickly become 
one of the 10 best in the country. Yeah. Speaking of, Indiana is up to fourth in the women's poll. They went from sixth to fourth. South Carolina is still 21-0. LSU yeah. is 20-0. Stanford is second at 21-2. and And then it's Indiana, followed by UConn and the fighting Caitlin Clarks of Iowa <laughs> at number six. All right, anything else? Let's get out of here. No, I'm all good. Cool. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, TikTok, YouTube, all of those fun things. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about what? I'm not sure, but we'll figure it out before then and present it to you accordingly. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. <laughs>